Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What is happening? Nick Pollock here for a very special Pitchless episode because today Ross Stripling from the Los Angeles Dodgers has joined me to talk about pitching and just to gig out for a little while. So Ross, thank you so much for doing this with me today. Yeah, what's up, man? Good to be here. Dude, it's yeah, it's super fun doing this kind of thing. We don't get an opportunity much to really just talk about what it's like being in the majors and you know, we we have all these different mentalities that we go through, but to really kind of pick your brain about what works for you and what you're thinking about on the mound is just fascinating and and really cool that we can get that perspective. Uh, first and foremost, though, congratulations to uh, to joining the rotation recently. You had this game on Tuesday, uh, three innings, one earned run ball. Uh, and, you know, it, it's an interesting moment. There's been a lot of talk about you lately because, of course, your transition from the bullpen to the rotation. You obviously had this fantastic time in the rotation last year. And I just am curious what that's been like for you. Has it uh, been hard transitioning between the pen rotation are you excited about this opportunity or is this just one of those things like hey it's no problem for me i can do whatever the team needs sure well you know you always say the last one because that's uh you know that's just kind of a good business and and it's kind of become true you know because i've now done it enough times to where i feel like i can go back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation pretty comfortably Mm -hmm. you know so i have like a routine that i do in the bullpen and one that i do in the rotation but it always messes with you a little bit you know it's just a it's a different version of adrenaline it's kind of a different mindset so you know bouncing back and forth between you know coming out of the bullpen where it's like guns a blazing and and i gotta have my stuff like honed in from pitch one and and you can't afford to just kind of go through the motions versus in the rotation you kind of got the first inning to kind of get your feet wet you know land a couple curveballs you know get a feel for your changeup, all that kind of stuff and kind of you know get get going so it is it's totally different but uh, man my heart's always been with starting so I'm pumped to get another chance to be back in the rotation and uh, you know proud of what I did last year and proud to be a guy that they can count on to take the ball every fifth day when they need me Obviously, you know, moving forward, I hope I can stay in the rotation. But when you got the, you know, talent and the guys in the rotation that we have, that's not always the case. So, you know, take every opportunity I can get and, and roll with them. Yeah, uh, you know, it is pretty amazing how much depth the Dodgers have, of course. Um, and you never want to see someone like Rich Hill go down or anything like that. Uh, of course not. And, well, even last year, I would say that, you know, you had that opportunity to start for a while. You, you had this incredible run. We're all incredibly excited. Unfortunately, you had that injury. And what was that like coming back from that? Because uh, would you feel, would you say that you were exactly the same? Did you feel that just kind of things didn't go away your way when you came back? Was there a real difference in your mind between, you know, pre-injury and post-injury last season? Right, man. Essentially what happened was I ran out of gas mm-hmm. and I threw, you know, maybe a hundred innings at the all-star break or so. And I hadn't done that since really 2016. And, you know, I, I was just out of gas. I just sure, had yeah. had that kind of workload. And when I came out of the all-star break, that was, you know, those four days, the actual all-star break, I probably should have just gone and sat on my butt and rested, you know, mm-hmm. but like awesome. I was, it was an all-star and it was great. And I would do it again a million times. Like it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had, but it wore me down even more. And, 
I tried to make some starts after the all-star break and I just, I just didn't have anything, you know? And, right. and I was, like I said, just totally out of gas. So, um, ended up on the DL and once I got back, man, it was, uh, it was kind of a mixture of things. It was, it was trying to find it again and trying to get back into that competitor mode. I was also tipping my pitches really bad. So when you're, you know, telling big league hitters what's coming, you're <laughs> putting yourself <laughs> at a pretty big disadvantage. So, yeah. you know, there was a lot of that and, um, Man, it was it was frustrating because I felt like I was a big part of the reason that we kind of survived the first half, and then you know obviously we play game one sixty three to win the division, and then we get in the playoffs, and I don't make the playoff roster, and rightfully so. I mean, I, I hadn't done enough lately to show them that I deserve to be on that playoff roster, but you know it hurt, and it hurts to go out there and, and have to sit on the bench and watch your team that you you know basically poured blood and sweat for all year compete for World Series, but. Um, you know, it's, it, it, uh, it's, yeah, it, it was tough and, you know, obviously something I don't want to happen again and, uh, just doing everything I can this year to stay healthy and strong and be able to, you know, put in a full 162. Yeah. That, that must be so difficult. Uh, all you want to do is just give, give everything you have. And you're saying that you ran out of gas and for even to even say that, you know, it must be really tough just to, to, to go through that. So hopefully, hopefully this year, obviously you're in the playoffs, you're there, you're part of it. You're obviously are a big part of this team right now. Uh, and, uh, and we're all rooting for you here to, to be on the roster and really make that impact in the playoffs in October. Uh, I, I'm curious about um, your pitch mix, if you don't mind me asking a bit about that. Uh, so, so what I see, I see, I call you a little bit like a mini Bueller in the sense that uh, Bueller is throwing, of course, like 99 miles per hour, but he's focusing a lot with his fastball going up and then using, say, cutter slider to get that, that strike pitch and then curveballs underneath that. And I see that a little bit with you as well. Uh, would you say that that's kind of your approach is like I want to maybe put them away with either that curveball down the middle of the zone feature that slider in the middle and then fastballs up sure you know anytime you get compared to Bueller you're going to take it I mean, he's <laughs> a stud and he's going to be really good for a really long time um, you know it's it's hard to compare a pitcher that is a power pitcher like him versus mm-hmm. myself who's more of a uh, I don't know if I'd call it finesse or what but like at the end of the day if Bueller's 2-0 you know, he can just rear back and throw 99 right. kind of up up middle and have probably very good success with that. You know, I can't really do that with my 90, 91 mile an hour heater. So um, even though I think our repertoire is similar in that we kind of, you know, basically throw the same arsenal of pitches, his stuff's all significantly harder. Um, so I, I don't know if I'd necessarily compare myself to anyone else that I can think of. I'm sure there's, you know, plenty of people out there. There's just not one that comes to my mind. Um, I'd like to say I'm a right-handed Hunjin Rue, but he has a one-two. He has a one-two <laughs> ERA, you know, so that's a tough one. But I think we're similar in that we can kind of throw four different pitches in any count. Um, he's, you know, obviously shown you that he's elite at it and someone that I can look up to and learn from. But you know, the the idea that I can throw a three-one curveball or a two-zero changeup and and uh, even a dead red fastball counts. You know, a hitter shouldn't be confident that he's going to get a heater from me right there. And I think that's pitching. And, um, you know, nowadays, yeah, there's plenty of guys that throw 95 and above and they can rely on that heater, but I'm not one of those guys. So the way I got to get big league hitters out is um, focusing on my off-speed stuff, which I think now I basically throw all four of my pitches about equal amounts. You know, I throw fastball, slider, changeup, curveball, all of them about 20, 25% of the time. And, um, you know, in my mind, that makes me unpredictable to a hitter about what's, what's coming his way. That's interesting. So I uh, actually I noticed this in that last start that you actually I think you only threw one changeup. Correct me if I'm wrong there. 
Uh, was that a conscious thing? Was that, you know what, I'm only going three innings, 60 pitches or so. Normally I would save that change up later on and just the other pitches were working and you didn't really go to that change up. Or was this something that, you know, maybe I'm going to focus on those breaking balls instead of that change up? Yeah, so good question. And uh, nice job that you picked up on that. Uh, for one, my changeup was terrible in warm-ups for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Ch- changeup is the most fleeting pitch, man. You can have it for an inning and then lose it for an inning and then get it back for an, a, a right, batter and right. then lose it again. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, you said you're a pitcher, so you might know. It's it's just a, a weird pitch, man. And in the warm-ups, it was just so bad. It was like cutting on me. I had no idea where it was going. <laughs> and um, I throw one to Peralta in the first inning, a good one. I got a swing and miss. And for whatever reason, we just didn't go back to it. It was uh, – that was quite a bit of I faced quite a bit of righties. The whole basically bottom part of the lineup was righties, uh, so I was focusing more on breaking balls to them. I don't throw a ton of right on right changeups, but even when I got back to the top of the order, which is like Escobar, Marte, uh, Dyson was in there, Peralta. Those are lefties. Changeups a good pitch to them, and um, we just kind of got away from it. And I'll, sure. I'll face them again here on Tuesday. So without giving too much away, I'll probably start mixing it in more. So there might've been a little bit of that, the idea that I'm going to make, you know, start against the guys twice in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe try and kind of hold something back and, and save it for the next outing. But, you know, I mean, they're the Diamondbacks. They've seen me pitch dozens of times right, now. They right. know what I have, so I'm not exactly hiding anything anymore, but yeah, you picked up on it. I, I remember after the, after the outing, I was like, man, why didn't I throw more changeups? Sometimes the game just dictates that. Well, I think he still did really well regardless of that. Uh, are you more of a circle change guy? I mean, I have a, I have a ball, obviously, that people yeah. and he can't see. I assume it's that with like you know full-on circle. And yep. when you're talking about cut, that means you're essentially just falling off that way. Or Well, I guess actually even in this way, <laughs> you, can't, you don't understand what I mean, everyone listening. <laughs> uh, but right, so is that a common thing with you that like one day you just have your change up and you say, no, I'm out of it. I mean, just because, um, obviously here I am just sitting here looking at numbers and I can see, I see a slider curveball curveball is fantastic last year specifically. Uh, and the changeup kind of was this pitch that you went in and out with some days you just had it and it was great. And sometimes you, you just didn't. And that's okay because I, I mean, I love your slider and your curveball. I think those are two fantastic pitches. Uh, and do you feel that you need to get more out of that changeup? Are you doing things to, to get more consistent with that? Or do you think that that might be something you just put on the back burner? Well, no, I don't think I'll ever put it on the back burner because uh, really against lefties, it's it's an elite pitch for me at getting ground balls. It's mm-hmm. not I don't really it's not really a swing and miss changeup, which sometimes is good. I mean, I think the famous Sandy Koufax line that I've seen come around lately is, yeah, I was a really good pitcher, but I became a great pitcher. Wait, let me think about it again. Okay, <laughs> I was a, I was a, I was a good pitcher when I tried to make them miss the ball, but I became a great pitcher when I tried to make them hit the ball. Right. Right. So if you think about that. If I throw a two-zero changeup and he swings and misses at it, I mean that's a win, but that kind of stinks. In a mm-hmm. perfect world, you want him to just roll it right over to the yep. second baseman and get an out. You know. So I think, the, and to get back to your original question, yeah, the changeup to me is is probably the pitch I have to work on the most because, like I said, it's just. It's never been there every day. I don't just roll out of bed and can throw a changeup like Hunjin Rue and, and some other guys. So it typically, it, like out of the bullpen, I never threw it hardly at all. Maybe right. two, three percent of, of the time, just because out of the bullpen, you got to, when you're throwing a pitch, it's usually in a leverage scenario and you got to know exactly what you're throwing and where mm-hmm. it's going. And changeup has never been that for me. So changeup, like we talked about earlier, is kind of like that pitch that I have to throw a couple in the first inning, find it and start mixing it in more and more. And then by second, third time through the lineup, it's a solid part of my mix for that day. So I'll never put it on the back burner. I think it's a good pitch for me and it's a good change of speed, but, um, 
it's definitely probably my fourth pitch and my mix as far as like kind of what I view as my strength. That makes sense. Yeah. And so you're doing that circle change grip right with your using your ring finger all of a sudden, you know, because that's a that's a that's a finger that you just never touch. Yeah, that's true. You're doing the change up. And for me personally, when I pitched, I was always like, no, no, no. Every time my index finger needs to be involved, I can't pitch without that. So I, I formed, you know, the, the classic, like, you dig your the, the ball straight in a bit. I mean, not I mean splitter, but, you know, I mean, I've been even doing ridiculous things, like yeah. almost forkball stuff. Um, but, I, I mean, everyone experiments with grips. This is one of the fun aspects, I think, of pitching is, like, you meet somebody and you say, hey, here's, here's the thing. And it just blows your mind that you can even do stuff like that. Uh, is there a pitch in your repertoire that you learn from someone else? that that really stuck with you and you you have to thank them for that curveball or that slider well good question uh there's a guy so i didn't start pitching until i was 18 years old and i basically picked up a ball and threw from this really high arm angle and always had you know good true like backspin on my forcing because of how high i throw that the Mm -hmm. ball just comes out and spins you know on the correct axis and then the curveball from the same arm angle kind of the same but i was having a hard time um, really getting it to bite. I could throw like a big loopy, like 70 mile an hour one. So then they, I had a buddy who was just on my high school team. His name was Jordan Eason. Obviously no one knows who he is, but, uh, he taught me to spike it, which means you put your nail on the ball. Right. Like you literally bend your finger and you shove your nail into the ball. So now my, my pointer finger is basically uninvolved because it's just stuck on the baseball. So now I'm creating spin only with my middle finger. And, all I'm doing is, and the way I teach like a little kid is throw it like a football. So if you think like a football with your hands almost on the side and then you're kind of like throwing it, I don't know, like whipping down, yeah. that's what I do with my curveball. So with my middle finger, it's sitting on a lace and I just rip it down as hard as I can. And uh, once he told me to do that, man, the curveball was there and it's always been there. Um, that's my baby. That's my bread and butter. I'll never, you yeah, know, we I, love I hope it that, too. <laughs> I, thank you. I, I hope, I hope it never leaves me. And then, um, the the slider, you know, getting actually back to Bueller is Bueller has an unbelievable ability to go from cutter to slider, which yep. a lot of people struggle with that because you can kind of get in no man's land in the middle and start throwing like this little in between slurve thing that's mm-hmm. neither a slider nor a cutter. And I've struggled with that. And uh, Bueller's kind of always the guy that I go to because Bueller has just an unbelievable ability to pick up a baseball and almost do what he wants. He can't really throw a change up. And I think that's just because. He throws so hard that it's just right, it's just right. not possible. But his ability to pick up a, a baseball and spin it, whether it's a slider or curveball cutter, um, is really unlike anyone I've ever seen. So he's someone I constantly kind of pick his brain and try and, and figure it out because he'll change his slider multiple times in a year, his grip. And I'll always be like, what are you doing today? And he'll be like, he'll show me. And I'll be like, all right, I'll try it. And most of the time it doesn't work for me, but for him it almost always works. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, we've been watching, obviously, you know, we're giant pitching nerds here. Uh, and, you know, I've been watching Bueller. And early in the year it's been about that that slider, that, that cutter, needing to be that strike ending pitch for him because he just couldn't think, throw things in the zone. And how he gets guys out is elevating with that force seam like you were talking about. And so with, once he started doing that, all of a sudden, you know, there was that amazing four-game stretch that he had. Um, so that's fascinating to hear that he even, like, in-season is tinkering that slider grip, changing it to add that real, that cutter that he has now. Uh, that's that's really cool stuff. Uh, have you had an opportunity to, to pick Kershaw's brain at all or uh, Rich Hill or any of those guys? For sure, yeah. Rich, Rich has helped me with my curveball, no doubt, because Rich can change the – 
break of his curveball pretty much like no one I've ever seen. You know, as far as like he can throw a 12-6, he can drop down and throw more of a slurve. Even if he st- doesn't drop down, he can still change the angle in which his curveball breaks, which um, me and Kershaw just cannot do. Like we throw <laughs> one curveball and that's the way it's going to be. Right. So I've tried to work on that. Um, you know, and Rich, Rich surviving basically fastball curve. Very few starters yeah. can survive with just two pitches, and Rich has you know now done it for a very long time. And uh, you know, so Rich is always the guy I go to about curveball stuff. And then Kershaw is more the mental side of things. If if you think about Kershaw, man, back in the day, he was throwing ninety six with that slider and that curveball. And and you know, obviously, look at the back of his baseball card; those numbers speak for themselves. He was you know the best pitcher on the planet for a reason. And now he's come down to earth a little bit. He's still obviously really, really good, but you know, the stuff isn't what it was four or five years ago. So mm-hmm. now the way he beats you, man, is he just grinds you down. And the whole idea that like, he doesn't care if he's throwing 88 or 95, it's going to beat you. And he's going to be better than you on that day. And he's going to like outwill you. And no one competes harder than Clayton Kershaw. And I've tried and tried to learn like that from him. And I've gotten better for sure, but no one is like that. I mean, yeah. he is just the ultimate competitor, and he makes everyone else better around him because of how much he wants to win and how much he cares. And to think about just like the conviction that he has behind every pitch. Like you think about a starter. If I go four or five innings and things are going well, you kind of go into like cruise mode, and you're just up there like, all right, I know where it's going. Like his first pitch is the same as his hundredth pitch, and he is there to just absolutely bury that hitter into the ground. And, um, you know, I've tried to learn that from him. And, uh, like I said, he, he's the best at it, but, uh, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's been, I've been super, super blessed to be a part of a, a rotation that has the talent that it has and has the guys around that I can learn from. And, um, you know, obviously Kershaw being at the top of that, a future hall of famers is, is not a bad guy to look up to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, we've seen the, the, the gift compilations on pitching ninja, uh, yeah. of Kershaw screaming after throwing a 2-0 uh, fastball in the dirt or something like that, which yep. I relate to. I understand that you so badly need to get to 2-1, and one, but to see him yell and everything, and uh, even also see him do the Rich Hill where he does sometimes bring his arm angle down for a fastball. Reminds yeah. me of David Cohn back in the day, just always changing arm angles and everything with spinning sliders. I love that stuff, so to, to see you guys kind of mess around with that is really fun. I I want I want to shift it a little bit here. Uh, something that we, we don't think is talked often enough about is your development and how much organizations really influence that. Uh, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the coaches and the uh, the analytics you've been provided through college, minors, and majors, and how that's shifted with every step of the way. Sure, this is a giant question, yeah, so we'll have to uh, <laughs> we'll have to dive in, you know, to more specific things. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is you're you're very much at the mercy of what team drafts you mm-hmm. and what they believe in. And I think I was very, very lucky to be drafted by the Dodgers because I think they have a very good mix of old school pitching coaches that know how to teach mechanics and know how to get the most out of your body and can tailor it to you specifically. They're not cookie cutter. They're not going to make you do one delivery. Right. Um, you know, it's not a one thing fits all. As you know, you were a pitcher like everyone does it for uh, does it in a different way. I think we have a good mix of that and then we also are probably leading the way in analytics and mm-hmm. the idea that um, you no longer really pass the eye test if you're a good pitcher you more pass what the track man says about you. What's right. your spin rate? What's the efficiency of your spin? What axis is it spinning on? 
those kind of things, which are vertical rise, you know, all these weird terms that weren't around even when I got drafted seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I think that's been really cool to see, but then I think about buddies that I have in other organizations that do get that cookie cutter thing where it says, no, you're going to go over your head with your hands. You're going to, um, you're going to put your front leg behind your back leg on the way down and lead with your hip and like, you know, all this kind of stuff, if that makes any sense, where they don't have a choice in how they pitch. No, definitely. And they basically, you know, takes the creativity away from them. And creativity is a huge part of pitching. And usually guys get drafted for a reason and you're there for a reason and you have talent. And then you got some coach trying to change everything that you do. So, you know, I know, I'm sure you have more specific questions and uh, we can dive into them, but that's kind of like the overall kind of thought when someone asks me that, how I answer. No, that, that's great. Yeah, we, we've heard things, of course, like Darvish, for example, getting uh, traded for by the Dodgers and then instantly them meeting the first night, exchanging notes about his cutter usage and what they want him to do with that stuff. And we love that. I mean, we, we talk about this for ages with other pitchers like, oh, man, he should be doing this more or that more. But, you know, it's a... We want to actually have these discussions as much as we can. And, you know, we hear things from certain organizations saying, okay, we're just going to throw two seamers inside. And we're like, well, well that's actually not a great thing to do these days, you know, or, yeah. or another organization. And we, we love the Rays, what they're doing with four seamers up a ton. I mean, we see what they did to Tyler Glasnow and Blake Snell of like, hey, throw four seamers up. You have excellent rise on those pitches. And then you can tunnel that properly with these massive breaking balls. And that's obviously worked for Glasnow. It's obviously worked for Snell. Actually, I don't know if you know this, Ross. I have. Of course you don't. Uh, <laughs> I have a, a poster on my wall. I call it the Blake Snell blueprint because it's from it's a strike zone plot of one of his games against the Mariners where he just throws red up. That's four seamers. And then down is just blue and yellow of, of curveballs and sliders. And I love this. Yeah. And, and I see this again. I see this a bit from you with your big curveball. And you do stay up with your four seamer a decent amount. And I think this works. I think this is something that is should be or should be more uh, popular among starters. But again, it, it comes down to organizations. And we're always curious about so so what kind of conversations have you had with the Dodgers and what do they want you to work on? What are they suggesting that you focus on as a starter or is it different as a reliever? Sure. So man, you're you're spot on. So 2016 I debut and I'm starting and um thinking back to what I did in college which was all fastballs down like I've said earlier I throw from this crazy high arm angle and what I always was told by my pitching coaches and even like hitters that have faced me is like what makes me good is my ability to get tilt on my fastball down in the zone because I throw so high yeah you know because (laughs) I throw from so high yeah I was like yeah that's what makes me good I can get you know angle on my fastball so I get into pro ball and I keep doing that and then I make it to the big leagues and I keep doing that and I start struggling in the big leagues and and uh you know you think about every big league hitter was the three hole in high school or college and all they've seen is fastballs at the knees you know forever right because you think about how do you pitch the best hitter on the other team well you throw them nothing but black down and away heaters and that's all he's seen so now that's all they can hit right Mm -hmm. and um Andrew Friedman comes up to me and he says, hey, we're, we're going to option you down. Uh, we think you need to work on some stuff. Here's what I want you to work on. I want you to work on throwing up and curveballs, like you said, tunneling out of that lane. I was like, no, man. Like, I throw with angle on my fastball down in the zone. That's what makes me good. And he's like, no, I want you to throw up in the zone and tunnel your curveball off of that. And I was like, okay, I, oh, I I'll give it a shot. I love and what he so did, much. and you're talking about the Rays, uh, he had me go watch Jake Odorizzi, who he had yep. with the Rays when Friedman was there. 
And I went and watched every start that Jake Odorizzi ever threw and how much he just throws up in the zone, up in the zone. He's like 92, 93, just by people up in the zone. I'm like, how is this possible? And um, I start doing it. And I mean, that that's basically like if you were to ask me the question, when did your like when did your career turn or, when, you know, when can you point to like when you thought you really might have some success in the big leagues? And like that was it mm-hmm. when I started being able to throw consistently up in the zone and see the swings against me and then when I throw a good curveball that really comes out at that same you know literally to that same tunnel so a hitter thinks it's a heater coming at that same spot and then it drops to the bottom of the zone I mean I think it uh, like you said I mean there's tons of organizations the Rays and us included that are are really uh, instilling that in their pitchers and uh, having a lot of success doing it man yeah, that's oh, I love all of that that you just said. That's great. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so so moving forward from well, I guess from the Dodgers to the minors, we're curious how much you know it, it, are organizations really investing in developing pitchers in the minors. Was this were these conversations that you had only when you came to the majors, or were there a lot of guys involved with your development uh, down in AAA? So I think it's gotten a lot better. You know, I think. The old kind of uh, thought was, oh, if you're a top rounder, you were going to get all the attention. The other guys were just going to have to grind and, and right. throw up zeros and earn their way there. And that's still, you know, definitely part of it, no doubt. But um, now, basically, man, every every organ or sorry, every level with the Dodgers, our pitchers are getting um, like up to date information on what the track man and rap Soto stuff saying about them. They're going over. We're only hiring pitching coaches that understand what that stuff means and what it spits out. So even our guys in low A are mm-hmm. there's a guy there he I can't remember what we call him you know some version of like a track man director <laughs> or something you know and he's sure, in low yeah. A and he's there and he's helping these kids out and teaching them like hey this this when you throw this it spins on this axis and your changeup spins on a totally different axis so technically they should be um, you know easier to see for a hitter because they're spinning on different axes if that makes any sense. Versus, hey, last start we noticed, uh, you know, you were spinning more efficiently than this start previous. Right. What happened? Would you change or or the next bullpen they'll change stuff? So I mean, it's very like new era baseball here mm-hmm. with the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. When when I got drafted, it, it wasn't like that yet. I, so I've been able to see the transition. So from that regard, I mean, the development is huge because I think I think that stuff's a big deal. I think it can get into your head a little bit. Like I think you still have to have the mix of of just going out there and being a competitor and knowing what makes you good versus like, Oh, I'm going to throw, I'm just trying to throw an efficient fastball here so that the track man says I look good. Right. I think that, you know, that takes the competitive edge out of you, but you know, we still have a really good mix of the new era baseball with the old school, you know, teaching kids mechanics and how to be powerful and all that stuff. I think, I mean, development is what it's about. I mean, you have to get guys to the big leagues. Not everyone is just drafted, and ready for the big leagues, right? So you got to have, you know, good coaches and and people down there that can prepare you and and develop you. And I think we're among the best, in my opinion. Obviously, I don't have anyone to compare it to, but I just know that we've invested really hard into our minor leagues and our development and that uh, it's starting to pay its dividends. I mean, we're, I think we lead the major league baseball in homegrown talent. I think there's 16 of our 25 right now are Dodgers homegrown players. So, um, you know, I think we definitely know what we're doing from a development standpoint. Oh, that's fascinating, fantastic stuff. I mean, it makes so much sense. You know, you just want to have as much information at your fingertips as possible. And for organizations to invest, I mean, they're already investing in these players in the first place. Why wouldn't they want to use all this really good data to help 
them grow. It it makes common it's you know it's common sense to us, but uh, there's an understanding that there's still this uh, mentality of Rocky Four is what I like to call it. Yeah, it's you know it's it's the Rocky who's a, a homegrown the old school kind of thing versus the the Russian who's all science and and all this data that is just you can't actually you know breed a hero a champion with that stuff it has to be the you know uh, pulling the logs up in some shed or whatever it is <laughs> uh but uh but no i i absolutely love what the dodgers are doing and it's really cool for you know thanks for confirming kind of what we expected out of the dodgers uh to do that kind of thing and even just hearing uh oh, the change up is going on on the same axis well just the spinning the opposite way really easy to tell oh i love that that's yeah. that's fantastic uh i mean ideally what you want is you want that that spin to be essentially imagine the four seamer just essentially just not as much but you can't really tell that out of the hand i mean that's really what johan santana did uh to have such an amazing change up back in the day uh fascinating stuff i uh, so a couple of fun questions that I, I have for you here if you don't mind uh one i'm curious is there a certain mound visit that you remember that was just like this is the best mound visit i've ever had well before you said best mound visit the one that came to mind was when doc pulled me out of my debut I had a no hitter oh, yeah. going in my debut and, and he had to come get me, which I very much understand. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I wish we could see how it would have finished, but not just not the way it worked out. Um, you know, a best mound visit. Uh, typically, there aren't very many good mound visits. Um, I remember, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I wish I, I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but I definitely, um, I believe I had struck out the most I'd ever struck out in the big leagues. This was last year at home against the Padres. I believe I'd struck out uh, 10 or 11, and I'm in the – I believe I'm in the eighth inning, and um, I get two outs, and a guy gets on base, and Doc has to come get me, and you know I'm just out of, out of my pitch count and all that, and they, right. they tried to let me get through the inning. I just didn't, so he comes and gets me. And, uh, you know, just takes the ball and says, heck of a job, you know, gives me a pat on the back and I walk off to a standing ovation in Dodger stadium, you know, tip my cap. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that is like, you know, the baseball dream, the, you know, just something that gives me chills talking about it. So that's really cool. But yeah, yeah. Typically if, if a coach is coming out to visit you on the mound, that's normally not a, (laughs) a a good, a good thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, very good point there. Um, is there a certain player in the majors that you're really looking forward to facing? Ooh, good question. Um, you know, we play the Yankees this year uh, for the first time. I might have a chance to face Aaron Judge. Mm. Uh, I mean, that dude is just obviously a monster. And uh, it's it's when you see someone like that that just takes up the whole batter's box. I think of like I got to face David Ortiz my rookie year. I faced John Carlos Stanton a couple times, um, and then like Aaron Judge, like those guys. It's just like a whole different visual when someone that big is standing at home plate like waiting for you. It's just right. it's crazy. Um, so that'll be a fun one. Um, you know, I've, I feel like I've faced pretty much everyone in the AL, so I'm trying to think – I mean from the NL, so I'm trying to think of people from the AL that I might face. Uh, well, well, I guess Vladimir – we played the Blue Jays too, so Vladimir mm-hmm. Guerrero Jr., uh, Kevin Biggio, who I actually work out with in the offseason, who's an awesome kid. Uh, that'll be a fun game. Randall Gritchick also on that team. I work out with him in the offseason. So those are guys that uh, would be fun to face. But it's also same side, uh, facing guys that you know is actually – kind of a super awkward experience i got to, one of my best friends in baseball is kyle farmer who was a dodger we trade him to the reds and i faced him this year and it was like just it's not a fun experience we're sitting right. there like trying not to smile at each other and you're trying to like stay in the zone be competitive but it's like super awkward so it's it's that's always kind of a of a, of a funky thing yeah definitely um and uh just a couple more questions and really thank you so much for taking the time today 
Uh, so just going back to your current situation a little bit about this dance between the rotation and uh, and the bullpen, is are you really doing anything different to prepare? Like uh, right now you're at 60 pitches. I think it was around 45 or so, 47 in the game before. Are you anticipating yourself to continue getting stretched out, or is it something that says, no, no, I'm going to go in there for 60 pitches, and that's what I'm going to do today? No, I'll keep getting stretched out. I think the next one would probably shoot for closer to 75. Mm-hmm. And then really once you get to 75, I'd say you're basically built up. And, you know, so I wasn't very efficient last time. I mean, 60 and three pitches is, is definitely not what you want. But, uh, you know, at least was able to take the next step in the buildup process. So now hopefully 575, you know, next start would be great. And then mm-hmm. after that, yeah, you're basically there. So then I'd maybe have one more heading into the all-star break and then we'll, we'll see where we are after that. But, you know, as far as what your question was, was how, you know, different in preparation, it just kind of changes what you do. You know, I ever, I have a starters routine down. I mean, I've been doing that right. since I was 18 years old. You know, I know that you pitch, then the next day you go for a long run, you do a lower body lift the next day, you throw a bullpen, you do an upper body lift the next day, et cetera, et cetera. Out of the bullpen, it's much different because it kind of depends on your usage. If you go two days in a row, you know you're probably down that next day, so you can get a really good lift in versus if you think you might be up that day, well, what can I do at 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon physically that doesn't drain me if I need to pitch an inning at sure, 9 yeah. o'clock at night? You know, So right. it took me a while to get a routine down, but I would say I now have it. So now it's a matter of just kind of flip-flopping the routine based on whether I'm in the bullpen or the rotation. All right, cool. And uh, I guess last one here. Uh, we talk a lot about you know pitchers going on the road and on the home, and some people have these extreme home and road splits. Uh, is that something for you? Is that something that you can really say, okay, you know what, going to Coors, for example, <laughs> I can't do that, right? That's harder for me. Is, is, is that something that you go through, that a lot of your teammates go through, or is that kind of just smoke and mirrors for the most part? I'd like to say it's smoke and mirrors, but you know everyone's going to be more comfortable at home. You know mm-hmm. I've thrown... You know, let's say I've pitched in 100 games, 60 of them have probably been at Dodger Stadium, if not more. So that just feels more comfortable, right? Like, you know what that home, that pitcher's mound to home visual looks like. You know exactly where you want to be an hour before you go outside to start warming up. You know, 30 minutes you walk outside. Like, it's just more comfortable. You know what you're going to do. Versus on the road, sometimes it's the first time you've been to that stadium. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of jumbles up your routine a little bit. So it kind of gets you out of whack and, 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 you know, these are minor excuses at best, you know, so that's why I'd like to say it's just smoke and mirrors, but, you know, also our division is Arizona and Colorado, two of the better hitting ballparks around, you know? So, uh, if you think about Bueller, I mean, Bueller punched out 16 at home against the Rockies, um, you know, six or seven days ago. And then last night, you know, really had to grind through six innings because that one was at Coors Field. So it's it's totally different. Um, you know, in a perfect world, I wish you could say, yeah, I just take the ball. It doesn't matter where I am. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to compete my butt off and I'm going to get guys out at the same clip. But, um, you know, naturally, you just feel more comfortable at your home ballpark, man. And does that get into your head at all that you feel like you have to do something extra when you're in Coors? Because oh, it's just not going to work as it normally does. Yeah, it definitely gets in your head. I mean, I threw a bullpen here yesterday. So we're in Denver. I threw a bullpen in Coors Field yesterday. And, you know, the altitude, it just messes with your stuff, man. Like my curveball normally breaks, you know, probably six, seven inches more anywhere else but here. Right. But here it's much smaller and compacter and harder. And it just, uh, 
you know, sometimes you'll throw one that just literally spins and never catches. Sometimes you'll throw the best one of your life because it's technically shorter and harder. Mm -hmm. So then you get on the mound and I got stinking Nolan Arenado staring back at me and I don't, (laughs) you know, and I don't know whether I'm going to throw the one that's just a spinner or I'm going to throw the really good one down in the zone. Yeah. And now, you know, everything is just, um, a little bit more on your mind than having to just go out there and compete and trust in your stuff because now you're really having to think about your stuff versus really being able to, like I said, just trust that it's going to come out of your hand the way it always has because nowhere else is like Coors Field. But here you got to be conscious of like every single pitch and what it's doing because, I mean, one minor mistake and it can easily go 460 feet into the stinking pond in center field, you know. So everything here just (laughs) – has much more, um, I wish I could think of the phrase I'm trying to think of, but like, it, it's just uh, like, oh man, I had it. It's it, it's just way more detail, way, pay way more attention to detail when you're in Coors Field because it's mm-hmm. just, everything's so heightened. Sure. Uh, well, Ross, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I really do appreciate that you took the time to talk to me today. Yeah, man, this was a blast. Thanks for having me on. Hey, so Ross, is there uh, anything you want to add? Yeah, well, I just want to say thank you very much for having me on. This was a blast. Uh, I want to say that I also have a podcast. It's called The Big Swing Podcast. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, all those places you get your podcasts. Uh, We talk a lot of baseball, a lot of Dodgers, as well as a bunch of other things. But, um, yeah, so if you guys want to check it out, if you like podcasts, please. But, uh, Nick, just want to say thanks very much for having me, man. I had a lot of fun. Dude, this was an absolute dream. Thank you so much for joining me today.